as is pretty typical on this podcast, uh, news, some news broke after Will and I recorded today, and we talked a lot about the Jets GM situation, which you will hear in a second, uh, but the Jets traded linebacker Darren Lee to the Chiefs for a sixth round pick. Uh, basically Adam Gase still pissed off at John Elway gives away an underperforming but super talented linebacker to the Broncos greatest threat this season the Kansas City Chiefs Uh, Lee the Jets declined his fifth year option so he's basically on a one-year deal with the Chiefs for a sixth rounder Adam Gase their new GM did make the trade today uh, so I'm sure I'll talk more about the Darren Lee situation when I break down the, the Jets offseason, but that happened after we recorded. So I thought, fuck it, I will put, I will take out my, my phone sitting on my bouncy ball here, and I'll just record the news. Read it straight to your fucking ears, and you'll like it. Because, I, well, I don't know if you'll like it. Oh, God, I'm too confident. <laughs> Okay, welcome to the That's Good Sports Podcast. Uh, we really want to be here today. I'm Brandon Perna with Will Keys. What's going on, Brandon? I, uh, I heard you threw your, your name in the ring, your hat in the ring, I guess, for uh, GM of the New York Jets. Yeah, I, my, my name is officially in the, the ring via five points vids on, on YouTube. So we'll see what happens. Um. Expecting a call back anytime soon? My phone is on. Okay. My phone is on. I th- <laughs> I think I could do it. Look, I mean, all like television personalities are getting hired. I get it. They used to play football too. Not as important. Um, but I think once all like the television personalities have been hired in the front offices, the next logical step is to go to the internet. Go to YouTube. Go yep. to YouTube to run your organization. <laughs> I, can't, I can't think of how that would possibly go wrong. No, me neither. The great thing about me being GM is I have no relationships with any of the other NFL GMs. So you're, Yeah, you're going in to drain the swamp. You're an outsider. Right. Now that I think about it, I want Eat That Pussy to uh, be the GM of the Eagles. I think – oh, man. Oh, man. That would be – that would be entertaining. Imagine his press conferences, like after the draft. He should just be their press conference guy. Yeah. No. I think, I think every team should have a fan that gets to be their uh, press conference person. Yeah, like yeah, like a press secretary. Yes. Like Perfect. in the White House. Perfect. We're I think. Yeah. We could all be like Sarah them. Huckabees or whoever the fuck yeah. it is. Yeah. Anyway. Today we will talk about the Jets firing their GM. In May, <laughs> they fired their GM in May. Um, who might be filling in that role? The Patriots signed Jamie Collins back. XFL still looking to Tim Tebow for his services. And then we've got Bronco New- Broncos news. We've got no news disguised as Broncos news that we're going to get into it. Joe Flacco, just he is not mentoring anybody anytime soon. And there's, you no, know, not Will, Keys, 
Will Keys and I started this podcast last May-ish, right? When yeah, I think so. It's been about a year. About. So this is this is our our time to shine, Will. The the least the less news we have to actually discuss, the more it gets we better. Can. Yeah, it gets better. I just like to point out that you never mentored me either. So right. I'm like, good I become. I, I you know what I didn't. Uh, <laughs> it was like, hey, can you write some articles for me? And then uh, the website went to shit because promises get broken all the time on the internet. And I was like, well, can you just write videos for me? And you're like, sure. Uh, what do you want me to write? Uh, I don't know. Stuff. Think about what do you Football. think about something. Yeah. Something good. It worked out, I think. It, it does. We Now we have uh, a relationship. A, I think you get what I need. And... I give you very little direction or help still, and we managed to get it's videos totally, produced. totally symbiotic. I would, if I were Will, I would hate trying to write for me. <laughs> uh, for a lot of reasons. Mostly because I'll just ask Will at any time, like, hey, can you do this video with me? And usually okay. you say yes, unless you're like, I am not at home because... <laughs> I, I went to San Francisco to watch a basketball game or whatever you do in San Francisco. Look, man, do the police complain when they get a phone call? I no. imagine that the police just have like a direct line to 911 in their cop cars, and that's how <laughs> crimes get solved. That's right. I, I, don't really know. I don't really know anything about civics or anything, but no. I, I imagine. I listened to a podcast about the Zodiac Killer. So San Francisco yeah. police, we're, they're all tied in now. Eh, yeah, never did find them. Nope, never did, never probably will. Probably very dead. Probably dead. Um, <laughs> but that's a, different, that's a different rabbit hole we don't want to go down right now, I don't think. Not today, at least, not today. I do, Maybe. before we get into the NFL, uh, I've watched more basketball recently than I have over the last probably five years. Two questions for you. Okay. One, we can get into the draft lottery that just happened because you have an interesting theory there. Mm -hmm. But my real question is how, how do you still watch basketball with the officiating? Because as bad as NFL officiating can be, uh, I feel like, NBA offici officiating is like 10 times as frustrating. Does it, over time, do you feel like it kind of like balances itself out? Or are you just always, are you just prepared no. for it to piss you off every, every time an important game is happening? Well, you're speaking to a fan who hasn't like witnessed like a really important game, uh, basically in his entire life. Um, although I have been on the bad side of uh, some like blatantly illegal officiating, like officiating that people went to jail for. Oh shit. So <laughs> uh, I am like pretty opinionated on the subject, but you just have to like, it's never going to balance out uh, depending on what, you know, team what you're team you for? but uh, you have to pretend that it does basically, or else you're just never going to enjoy the sport. Yeah. It was, it was interesting to watch. I think as somebody who hasn't watched the NBA for, closely like for a little while and switching back and forth between hockey and the NBA. Right. Like I'd find myself like watching hockey and be like, Oh, you, 
oh, you can do that because it's, it's hockey. You can touch another player. Correct. In the NBA, like, sometimes a guy doesn't even touch another guy, and it's, it's a penalty because it looks like he got touched. It's fucking insane to me how soft they call the NBA for certain players. And then hockey, the, the avalanche kind of got screwed by a, a call that I guess was correct, but didn't affect the play at all and really bullshit ticky tacky sort of thing. But for the most part, it was like hockey, they let these guys play. The NBA the playoffs, yeah. The NBA gets it's just super regulated by by the refing. It was I don't know. It, I, I found myself like game, not yeah, even yeah. wanting to watch the game at points. Well like if you think about like how the Rockets play basketball, like a huge part of their offense is shooting threes and either if you miss the three, getting fouled and shooting three free throws or right. making that three, getting fouled and getting a four-point play. It's like if uh, the Broncos decided, <laughs> well, this is kind of the Joe Flacco offense and just like throwing it up in hopes of getting a pass interference. Or it's like uh, throwing a ball, but like purposely like letting – like the right tackle, like letting the defender go by, like throwing the ball, and then like Joe Flacco, like launching himself into the defensive end to draw a roughing the passer call and getting 15 yards either after the play right. or after an incompletion. Which yeah, now that I thought about it, it, might be brilliant. Like they might want to start thinking about doing that. It would be funny for a quarterback to get uh, flagged for like yeah. a legal hit on a, a, an edge rusher. Hitting an edge rusher too I don't think low. It's ever going to happen, but yeah. <laughs> I want to see. I want to see a QB, fucking hit JJ Watt in the knees and get penalized for it. I don't. I'm not saying I want JJ Watt to get hurt because I think if you say that, you that's another thing that can put you into jail. If yeah, you wish ill will to any of the Watt family, you will. They will find you. Yeah. Not not only will the law find you, but like the three of them will knock on your door at night. I would, I would much rather piss off the the Watt family than the Bosa family, though. I'll tell you that. Yeah, the Watt, like the Bosa family, would like try to find you, but they like, I don't think they could figure it out. The Watt fam- family would find you very quickly. The yeah, Bosas but, I, would, like, but be, I feel like the Watt family would would be reasonable. The Bosas would like knock on the wrong door. I think. Yeah, they're like the, they're like the dog, the bounty hunters coming after you, where. Yeah. <laughs> the Watt family is like a, a good, honest uh, police force. And uh-huh. then the, the Manning family is like the fucking FBI or the CIA. Yeah, you don't want to get on their bad side because you could just uh, – you'd turn up dead and no one would even know. For no, like, yeah, you would disappear. would not be within the top 100 in terms of suspects. Yeah. You, you, don't, you don't fuck with football royalty. That's all I know. Yeah. I well, yeah, go ahead. I was, this is completely off topic, but I was thinking that was my point. <laughs> we should we should do a, a video, I think, at some point about why NFL quarterbacks want to have so many kids. Oh, I like that because uh, Kurt Warner, his he, had, he I think they have seven kids. He has seven kids as well. So Warner has seven. Fitzpatrick has seven. Flacco has five. Rivers yeah. has nine. And I know. I think Rivers has 12, <laughs> right? I think it's nine, oh. nine or 10 now. I don't know. It's hard to keep track, but I feel like uh, there's a, a correlation <laughs> between quarterbacks and 
a ton of kids. And yeah, all sex, just that. having lots of sex, unprotected. Or, or maybe it's maybe they just get sex once a year and they make it count. Could be. I don't know. It's just I an mean, observation. I'm not saying it was a good one, but interesting. We'll have to discuss it in the next video. Sure. I like it. I like the idea. But we have the Jets to talk about. Let's do it. Because they fired their general manager, Mike McCagnan, today. And you know who they named as their interim GM? That's right. Mr. Bulgy Eyes himself, head coach Adam Gase. What, what was your reaction when you first saw this? Uh, I thought it was crazy. I don't, yeah. I don't remember the last, I don't remember a GM getting fired after the draft and free agency. So my reaction is why the fuck would you fire your GM right after you just let him basically do the most important things a GM does? Uh, why wouldn't you get rid of him before even hi like he hired Adam Gase. So maybe you would want your new GM and your coach at the same time. And then I think part of the answer, the reason they're getting rid of him is because him and Adam Gase weren't, weren't sinking. And Adam Gase uh, didn't want to pay Le'Veon Bell or any running back a ton of money, and they went ahead and did that anyway. And so uh, I guess that's, that's why it happened. It just, it just seems stupid. It just seems really stupid to do it at this time. I guess maybe better than – middle of the season <laughs> but I, I don't know uh it's very strange it's very strange to let a gm go through this whole offseason process like you said to sign levy and bell i i get the i get the rationale behind not wanting to sign a running back to big money but if there's any team that could make it work it's the jets because they're not <laughs> they're not who else are they paying it's yeah they had it didn't they? They had like a. They were one of the top in salary cap money, right? Especially right. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's not gonna come to them having to choose between Sam Darnold and Levy and Bell uh, after three years. Like he's getting most of the money within three years. Uh, you sign Darnold when his contract runs up, and he gets the fifth year option, uh, assuming that they still want him at that point, which is a huge question mark. But the best way to find out is to give them a supporting cast and who better to help a young quarterback than a running back that can A, run the ball really well, B, pass block, and C, catch passes coming out of the backfield. And there's maybe one or two players in the NFL that can do that all at the same time better than Le'Veon Bell. So yeah, uh, I get it in theory, but in this particular case with the New York Jets, uh, I don't have a problem with it. Uh, my problem is – why did you guys come to an agreement uh, and not have a plan for what you were going to do in the offseason to the point where this signing caused such a huge disagreement that basically one of you has to leave town yeah. in May? Long-term, it could speak more to Adam, Adam Gase and what his ability is to work functionally within an organization. So, uh, it, it's too early, like to say for sure, but Adam Gase may have the issue, you know what I mean? Getting along uh, yeah. with, with the people he's working around. I know. Which was kind of like a major complaint in Miami that he didn't get along with his players, which led to, uh, Jay Ajayi being traded, Jarvis Landry leaving. Right. Basically and, a little exodus of skill players. And him not. 
you know, like him and Elway uh, didn't leave on good terms, you know, with the Broncos. So, you know, there, there could be more to that there. Um, <clears throat> but you're right. Like if it's over, I think it would have to suggest that Adam Gase would disagree with maybe even more personnel decisions that were made than just Le'Veon Bell. Because at some point you just be like, okay, I didn't want to pay a running back that much money, but I'm an offensive minded coach and there's a lot I can do with a super talented running back. So, okay, I'll I'll deal with having a top three running back in the NFL for the next two seasons. (laughs) Like, oh shit, what a, what what a shitty thing to, to have to, to, to be able to coach and scheme with. Um, so probably there's probably more there. I would assume like if it's just over one player, Bad then yeah. New York's really fucked. Uh, and Adam Gase, uh, I don't know. I think Adam Gase is going to be under a microscope now. And, uh, the good news is this takes a lot of heat off the New York giants, at least for a little bit. That's a good point. No, they keep, yeah, they keep grappling for, uh, What's the opposite of supremacy? <laughs> Inferiority. Yeah. In New York. Uh, we no, shall yeah, be they, the bottom. The Giants look like they had it locked up for a while. Uh, you know, obviously the Knicks might have the bottom spot after <laughs> getting the third pick in the lottery last night. But the Jets, the Jets saw that and said, we will one-up you, and they fired their GM right after the draft and said, I dare you to do better than this. Yeah, it's when I saw it today, like I normally wouldn't want to talk about a fucking GM getting fired on the podcast because it seems like a really boring thing to talk about. But the timing of this and with the Jets organization sort of being just kind of feels just like disarray now. Uh, I found it fascinating. Maybe that's maybe I'm like too deep in in the world of football that I find this really intriguing. Uh, I don't know, but I, I thought it was worth uh, spending a little time talking about. No, it definitely is. I mean, especially now, like this is, we're getting to the part of the off season where these are like the most exciting stories we're going to have to cover. Yeah. Unless like something crazy happens. Cause like GMs do get fired. Uh, gotten like, let's pray that like something exciting happens this off season. But <laughs> you want some you like at this point you're just waiting for a player to do something really stupid to talk about. Exactly, like blow their fingers off on the Fourth of July. Uh, dog himself. fighting. Dog, do you remember? Yeah. yeah, do you remember the off season with the Michael F- Michael Vick dog fighting stuff? That was like that lasted ESPN maybe three months. Yeah, that was a story that like lasted on the national news media for like, I mean like regular news, like your CNN type bullshit. Like that was a, that's the most insane story that I feel is going to come out of the NFL ever. Maybe we should, yeah, we should play a game eventually where like we have, we set up like a Mad Libs machine for like fake off season stories and then just like run like a random generator and then see what, uh, off-season storylines that the generator comes up with. That's fair. That would be yeah. fun. Like Joe Flacco loses foot to wild boar attack. Right. Mm-hmm. And we just riff on that for like 10 minutes. 
because there's no real stories. No. Except for like, uh, <laughs> I don't know, some players in the best shape of his life. Yeah, that's every player. And every, mm. every player who's coming back from an injury, whatever that area of his body is injured, it feels stronger than it ever has before. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. It, it makes sense that uh, right after someone just tore their Achilles into a thousand pieces that it would come back much, much Better. stronger. Yeah, prior to it. Yeah, just that, delayed that knee of always kind of bothered me. I'm glad I got rid yeah. of that ACL. Yeah, it's really quite cumbersome. It's uh, or I like when when players also when they change their diets. Oh, that's a that's a huge one. Yeah, no, we that's, have to. I like that's that. A, that's uh, usually for players who are like uh, I feel like after they turn once they get past thirty years old, and they realize like oh shit, my body doesn't. I can't just put anything in it anymore. <laughs> Because uh, as somebody who's 35, like it's very true. Um, but you see older players like, yeah, just started eating healthy. I have a lot more energy, feel better. Uh, it's like, what did you eat before? <laughs> yeah, and, and now it's, it's raw crazy. sewage. I was eating candy bars and soda, and I had a secret smoking habit. And um, oh yeah, that's where you get like the fruit by the foot. Yeah, that's where you get the inevitable quote where it's like your body is a luxury car. So why would you, why would you not put premium gasoline into it? I've got, I got a Ferrari here and I need to start to uh, need to start feeding the Ferrari what yeah. it wants. And that is kale. That is Top a lot of, of, fuel. Lot of fucking yeah. kale, baby. That's it. <laughs> it's uh, the players, depending on what like college they go to now, they get educated on, on nutrition very differently. There's a lot of players that come into the NFL who already know like, oh yeah, eating healthy is really going to help my performance, just putting the right things in my body. And there are players like who go to colleges where like that, those resources aren't available to them. So they're still just putting shit in their body, but they're athletic fucking freaks. So they get by with it. And at some point, somebody in the NFL or other teammates would be like, dude, what are you doing? Like <laughs> you could, you could be feeling so much better if you uh, did these other things or yeah, or, you can yeah. do all the, the healthy things and still tear your ACL. So. Correct. Yeah. Or you have like Joel Embiid in the NBA who played one year of college basketball at Kansas. Uh, and then like, despite repeated attempts, basically the Sixers begging him to eat like an apple uh, instead of like three bags of McDonald's a day, just refusing to do so, not putting anything even close to organic in his body. Uh, and then calling, calling Brett Brown the day before game six or nine hours before game six to say, mm, I'm not feeling well, not sure I can play. Maybe, maybe your immune system has something to do with uh, your, your, your dietary habits. I don't know. It might. Just, it just might. putting it out there. Uh, but we could, I don't know, we could go on about. We'll save that for the for the culinary podcast. When yeah, that eventually comes up this off season. Called Will and Brandon in the kitchen for you with the Jets. So one of the leading candidates is Daniel Jeremiah from NFL Network. We obviously saw Mike Mayock, also from the NFL Network, uh, go to the Raiders. Daniel Jeremiah took Mike Mike Mayock's spot as the lead draft analyst. Uh, do you 
think Daniel Jeremiah is a step up from Mike Mayock. Are you going to criticize the Jets for doing the same thing that the Raiders have done or kind of ignore it because we love to poke fun at the Raiders? Uh, because I, I have a pretty specific answer on this, but I'm curious what you think. Um, I think it's uh, – well, as somebody who believes I could be an NFL GM, like – yeah. Sure, fine. Of course. What Daniel Jeremiah, what he has is he was an NFL scout before he got exactly. what that's he was doing what at the NFL Network. So that's yeah. – I think that's in his, his favor. I think the thing that you can't know about an NFL GM is what their sort of business sense is and their, like, negotiating sort of skills. Uh, I think – that's really important in how they work with because a GM is essentially in charge of like your salary cap and your finances. I don't think a guy like Mike Mayock or Daniel Jeremiah has a sense of how you do that, but their willingness to work with the person who does keep track of the finances is important. So I think the business part of it, the money part of it are the two things you don't know. And if Daniel Jeremiah shows he has a grasp of those things. It, it makes sense. But if I'm an NFL owner, I'm probably not looking to the NFL network to bring yeah. in my next GM. All right. So kind of a follow-up question to that. Would you rather take someone who was a scout, kind of a lower level guy in front office at the NFL level, or do something like the Broncos did where when they brought in John Elway to be their general manager – he had experience as the general manager of the um, Colorado Crush, I think it was, the Arena Football League team. Yeah. So would you want someone that has experience like leading people in that type of role or someone who has experience in a similar level and environment more than that? Yeah, that's – I mean, that's a good question. I don't – I probably would go with the LA business sort of sense of it because I feel like right. if that person is willing to, to listen to scouts and that sort of thing, like I feel like scouting, there are obviously going to be NFL scouts who are better and there, there are things that go into evaluating players but I feel like you can find those, those people, but somebody who knows how to run and lead an organization, I think that's a harder skill to, to find at, at that level. So that's why like Elway worked with the Broncos um, and had like a, a weird sort of combination of experience in that he was in the NFL. He did run, you know, the crush he had the, the car dealership businesses. Like, there was experience there with being a leader on the not, – not, he didn't just play. Like, he was a, a premier player. So then you, you also get the, the, the factor of, like, oh, this – having John Elway there brings more attention back to the organization. And just that alone will make the, the organization more money. Yeah. So I think that I would go with the Elway type guy. And he's, and he's one of those players that near the end of his career uh, is one of those rare players that ascended yeah. 
into that LeBron James kind of tier where they influence their own team's front office. And right. they can say like, hey, I think it'd be really, you know, helpful if you guys took a look at this guy, this guy, this guy. Uh, I think he'd work within our offense, this, that, and the other. Because that, I, it gives you a sense of like how things work, how the money works, uh, just kind of the, the ins and outs of a front office that I don't know if you get if you're just a scout. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think obviously scouts are important. Uh, because they're, you know, they're doing the legwork and going to colleges and going to like these small schools and, and talking to guys and uh, calling coaches and, and calling like high school teachers to get, you know, the scoop on, on these guys that they're about to draft and they're invaluable. Uh, but I think it's obviously more valuable to have a GM that is smart enough and has the wisdom and experience to say, all right, I'm willing to defer and listen to my scouts. Whereas uh, to bring it back to the Raiders uh, and to shit on them one last time, rather than sending them home the day before the draft and taking a a late first rounder at fourth overall. Right. Well, I think the thing that would concern me with like Daniel Jeremiah is like, how old is he? He's he's 41. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's old enough, but he kind of he see he looks like a kid to me. He does, yeah, but it's true. I think something that's really important for an NFL GM is you have to have the confidence to make really tough decisions. And I don't know enough about Daniel Jeremiah to say that I think he would be ready for that. Yeah, you have to we be can, definitely kind of ruthless. Yeah, and you we can criticize Mike Mayock right now, but I feel like if you just looked at Mayock and Daniel Jeremiah, I feel like I would go with Mike Mayock over him based on I feel like Mayock's been around long enough where he would have the confidence to to make tough decisions or at least I would feel better about him being able to do that than somebody like Daniel Jeremiah and that a lot of that just comes with like life experience too but uh you know if you look at Elway like he came in and after one season sent Tim Tebow packing yeah that was not like a popular (laughs) no it wasn't fans but he knew, like, this dude is not a quarterback. I got to do this before I even know who my next quarterback's going to be, before I sign Peyton Manning. Like, you got to have a guy who can go in there and do that type of shit, I think. Uh, and I don't know if a guy who's been talking football on TV just got to my – he wasn't even the number one guy on the NFL Network. I would take Rich Eisen before him. You know what I mean? Interesting. Interesting. You know who I wouldn't take ever would be Deion Sanders. No, he doesn't even – yeah, he'd pass on Kevin Byard in free agency, that's for sure. Who's the girl who does the uh, – the woman who does the, like, uh, the numbers analytics? Oh, yeah, Cynthia Freeland. Yeah, I would take her. Give me somebody yeah, who's no thinking about like, things like that. Yeah, I have no – like – I'm curious, like, how close her model is to, like, reality. Uh, But whenever anyone says, like, they have their own model, I'm immediately impressed (laughs) because I could barely pass pre-calculus, so. Yeah, I'm like, I don't even know how to set up a proper Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. I can twist my brain into a pretzel uh, trying to do long division, so. You know what I hate about her is, like, I would listen to like her predictions. I'm like, that's not, she's not going to be right. And it 
so many times it was was right because i'd be watching like thinking hopefully they're gonna she's gonna say the patriots will lose or the broncos will win and my point prediction says probability here is they will lose i felt like she was right a lot most likely uh the great thing about being like one of those people that predicts every game and has a model is no one has the time or energy to go back and see if you're right that is true Another thing about that is, like, whenever someone brings up win predictions, they always call call it, like, the Pythagorean win total or, like, the win projection, Pythagorean win projection. And every time I'm like, what the fuck do triangles have to do with anything related to sports? You need – I don't need, get it. You need Donald Duck playing pool to explain it to you. <laughs> yeah. My simple brain cannot – draw any type of relationship between geometry and football right now. Right. Unless it's like uh, diagramming a play. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense to me, but hmm. no, trying to find the length of a third side of the triangle based on the other two sides, how that creates, how that means the the Broncos are going to win 8.3 games this season. I don't get it. I don't know. Vegas, Vegas says they win seven. So, mm. do you oh, trust – uh... Vegas is the same thing as Pythagorean. It sounds like – you're like, okay, that's serious. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> they, might, they might just be guessing in Vegas for all we know. And they, when money's involved, they don't guess. <laughs> I, I, look, I've seen Casino. I know. No, that was they, old Vegas. How much work they put into it. That was old, stupid, arrogant Italian Vegas. Yes. Obviously, the new Vegas is not like that at all. You were just there. Those criminals are way smarter nowadays. Yes. I just kept I thinking when I was there. Anymore, just entrepreneurs. Yeah. I yeah. kept thinking, like, how do I, how do I build a casino? Because there, I would just, you just make so much money. Yeah, where do you get the money also? Like, I should be able to go to my bank and say, look, I'm, I'm going to run this casino. casino. It's going to make us a ton of money. Dollars. I'll have the loan paid back in mm-hmm. 10 years, which is three times as fast as I'm paying back my house right now. So. Exactly. Like, we've got Blackhawk here in Colorado up in the mountains where you can gamble. Let me open a casino up there. I know how that shit works. I, it's yeah, just like I being so. an NFL GM. I just need the chance to shine, Will. <laughs> need a chance to spread my wings and see how they can, I can fly. Was Michael Scott? <laughs> how many – okay, let me ask you this. How many complimentary drinks were you offered uh, over the course of your week at Vegas? Not a lot because we didn't gamble that much. Oh, I was gonna, yeah, I was gonna say that pretty much directly correlates to how bad of a gambler you are. Yeah, uh, I lost my money. Keep spending your money. I lost my money so fast the first time I sat down to play blackjack that I got pissed, and then I funded my wife with the other money I took out. And what I learned, because she's like, and she's like, she's not, we're not gamblers, and she's new to it. But we had a, a, a woman was the, the, the dealer and they could tell like she was learning. And I feel like they 
really wanted to help her out because she wasn't some fucking like arrogant dude at the blackjack table who pretends like he knows everything, which there's always like that guy sitting there. There's always a guy telling everybody what to do. But then like she started winning and she played for almost two hours the first time and walked away with, I got my money I lost back. So, and I was getting the drinks just by sitting there watching her play. So I think I made it up. I think the two nights that we played, I probably got between eight and 10 drinks in. So, which would have cost me about what I lost. And then I did better the next night playing roulette. So eight to 10 drinks, just for um, clarification, you're in Vegas on Friday. I was at a San Francisco Giants game on Friday. You got eight to 10 drinks for free. Eight to 10 drinks would have cost me uh, roughly $135. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, if you break even. Drinks, I mean, like eight ounces of Coors Light. Yeah. No, because then, we, like, we would go in to eat, and I would, if I ordered a drink, it was going to be like $16. Yeah. Yeah, no, you made the right choice. It's, uh, no matter what you do, you're not walking out of there on top unless you're some fucking gambling fiend who knows what you're doing or you got a lot of money to risk. You know who gambled and won? Bill Belichick when he released, (laughs) when he traded Jamie Collins. Nice. And then signed him back. Jamie Collins going back to the Patriots. That happened today too. Ruthless. Absolutely ruthless. Uh, We were talking about before the show, you can't help but respect – the the 40 intergalactic chess that he's playing with his roster yeah i mean the patriots because they keep winning they can shit on any player they want yeah when they don't want to pay them and then when that player inevitably fails somewhere else they will gladly take them back pay them less than what they're worth and probably get the best production since the last time they were a Patriot. Okay, yeah. So how many times has this happened? It's happened with uh, – I think the first guy it happened to was Dion Branch, right? They traded Dion Branch to the Seahawks. Oh, that's right. And then they signed him back after that uh, as a part of that 2011 team that went to the Super Bowl. Uh, they did it with Martellus Bennett, although that didn't really work out in the long run. It feels like they've just done it uh, – I'm trying to think who else, but this Jamie Collins one. I think we thought they were going to do it with Danny Amendola. Yeah. I really thought he was going to end up back there. They convinced Gronk to never go anywhere else, and he played for less than what he was worth. Mm -hmm. Um, Convinced they arranged the marriage of Tom Brady and Giselle Bündchen. Uh, oh, so yeah. Tom Brady would, would take $15 million a year as opposed to 35 So that Dude, was that, smart by them. That's like, as much as I, I hate Tom Brady, because I really do. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, the thing I respect most about what he has done is not bought into, I'm the number one quarterback. I need to make the most money. Like, his, his, Giselle makes – like a hundred million dollars every year anyway. So he does, he really doesn't need it, but Aaron Rodgers, his team could really use, you know, the help, but he's maxed out. 
Yeah, uh, Danica Patrick doesn't make enough money, apparently. Nope. Russell Wilson just did it. Peyton Manning did it. Like, and I get why you would. Why not? Why not fucking max out as much as you can? But I think, like Brady, for everything that's stupid and annoying about him, he really. I think he really does. Like, he wants to win more than anything, so he's fine <laughs> making that fifteen million. Right. Because also though, because he trusts the organization he's at to bring in players and players to fit, you know, the system and mold into it. Like a guy like Aaron Rodgers probably doesn't trust the Packers to do what he would want them to do with the money that he gives up. You know what I mean? So like, I get it, but like, that's the part of the thing that about Brady, they always go, that's like the one thing I I will give him credit for is he's never asked to max out that money. And the team's always had like, enough flexibility to kind of do what they needed, whether that's bringing in uh, Darrell Revis, you know, when they did to help put that secondary over the the, the hump or keeping uh, Stefan Gilmore there, paying him. So it's just like, I don't know, it pisses me off too. At what, yeah, at what point for someone like Brady though, does winning become profitable enough to break even? Say if you're taking half of what you're worth on the open market, or not even on the open market, but just in the regular starting quarterback market because he would be paid top three um, right. in, a, in a perfect world where the Patriots um, aren't paying him under the table as well. But uh, at what point does winning Super Bowls, because you took, mon- took less money and the team was able to, to build the roster elsewhere, turn into – I get to sell X amount more of these TB12 cookbooks because people are buying into it because I'm winning a Super Bowl at age 41 uh, versus I'm a celebrity because I've won so many Super Bowls that I get to marry the richest supermodel in the world versus, you know, I get all these prestigious endorsements. Uh, At some point it's like, maybe he makes more money because he takes less money. No, that's uh, fair in his regular day-to-day salary. Maybe that, you know, that's why he's so motiva- motivated to sell TB12, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, makes him, it makes him a better businessman. It makes sense. Yeah, I, I hope I can answer that question one day from a place yeah. of personal knowledge. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I, I see you decided to take less uh, from YouTube in order to spin it into to multiple endorsements. That's right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I have made enough money. <laughs> I just want to keep winning. I just shovel it into a fireplace every night to keep myself warm. I like piles and piles of cash. Yeah. <laughs> did, have you did have you watched uh, that movie on Netflix, Triple Frontier? No, I haven't. The one with uh Oscar Isaac. Yeah, it's it's it. it's terrible. It's I watched it on, on the plane and I was gonna watch it. <laughs> At one point, the, the guy burned some money to stay alive, so it, uh, it made me think of you. Wow, that's that's like a it's almost like it's like a really ham-fisted metaphor for something. Yeah, it I is because I'm not smart enough. The movie is so stupid. Oh, it sounds great. I'm probably gonna turn it on after this then. And the action's not even like cool enough to to carry it. But when you got time and you want to be disappointed. Your beloved Netflix comes out with another uh, tremendous original, I guess. Yeah, dude, the writing's so... It's so... Anyway. Uh, yeah, Jamie Collins, 
let's get into Bronco's news, I guess. Yeah. Uh, already made, we already made the Joe Flacco video. We did. I'm glad we did. Yeah, yeah. Because I do. I love the title, by the way. Uh, yeah, I think that's helping it perform because it's doing it's really fear mongering. I love it. Uh, it's clickbait. It's fear mongering. It's uh, it's just extremist journalism. Yeah, all we, in one. we did it right though because the title of the video is Joe Flacco hates Drew Locke and hope he fails in the NFL. But right yep. now it's got a ninety six percent like ratio, which is a little under under normal. So there are some people clicking on it thinking, oh, what did it, what did, what did Flacco say? <laughs> and then they find out, oh, I already, I already heard that. Can't believe um, it would say all of that. <clears throat> but this, this video is a good example of me. Cause we're, we're, we're working on finishing the, the Raiders off season recap. And then I just texted Will. I was like, uh, you want to do a quick video about this stupid Joe Flacco news story? Because Joe Flacco, during a press conference, basically they asked him if it was his job to mentor Drew Locke. And he was like, I don't think I get paid to mentor, you know, anyone. Like my goal here is to to win football games. I'm focused on learning a new offense and all this stuff myself. Uh, And like even like the, the way like he answered the question, like he went about it as like nicely as you could. It wasn't. I don't know. The, the tone was, I, I, I thought, like pretty open-spirited, yeah. very normal. But because he said it's not his job to mentor Drew Locke, like, it turned he into a story everywhere. It's on Pro Football Talk. It's on the NFL Network. Every Denver media news outlet has a, a headline about it. And it's like the, the type of shit I think Will and I hate is – a story that's not there that gets made into one. Yeah, completely manufactured because it's that time of year again. Right. So we wanted to just make fun of that in the video. (laughs) And then we actually kind of, I thought, stumbled upon something in that good quarterbacks, like – How many of them – yeah, how many of them had a great mentor? Right. It's none. And the guys who went and played behind, like the Aaron Rodgers and the Steve Youngs, like – Aaron Rodgers, or Brett Favre and Joe Montana did not want those guys to be there. No. And while while they were probably cordial and they probably taught those people stuff inadvertently, none of them were out there going like the extra mile to mentor them to, to play the game. And I, I never really like jumped into that because when Peyton Manning was here and the Broncos drafted Brock Osweiler, it was like, it's great. Brock Osweiler can learn behind Peyton Manning for a couple of years. You're not going to fucking learn anything unless you're out there like playing the game. You're okay. You will learn a little bit, but yeah, it is better than doing nothing. <laughs> being, yeah. Being a good quarterback has very little to do with what another quarterback teaches you in that room. It's so many other factors. We kind of talked about it, but I just thought it was an interesting thing to sort of kind of run and talk about. Yeah, no. I, and I was looking into like, who was a great quarterback that had a like supposedly strong mentor behind him because John Elway didn't have one. It was no. Steve DeBerg. Joe Montana also had Steve DeBerg. Maybe Steve DeBerg is just an all-time <laughs> mentor and we don't know about it, but I, I kind of doubt it. I feel like it's probably coincidence that, at this point. Uh, Dan Marino had David Woodley, who was not very good. Uh, even got like – I was like the best one I could think of was like Tom Brady at Drew Bledsoe, I guess. Uh, 
Drew Brees had Doug Flutie. Maybe, you know, maybe it is good to have, like, a, a very short role model to look down to, like Doug Flutie. Um, <laughs> but I can't, like, <laughs> Curtis Painter, was Peyton Manning's mentor, or Peyton Manning, like, supposedly mentored uh, guys like Curtis Painter, Jim Sorgi, Brock Osweiler, all those guys, and, you know. I don't think it really means anything. Like, Brian Greasy's mentor was supposedly John Elway, too, in his last year. Yeah, well, Peyton Manning knew none of those guys would ever take his job. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't – Brett Favre and Joe Montana could see that they had a really good quarterback sitting behind them. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. Like, if you're a good quarterback and another good quarterback walks onto your team, you're going to fucking notice that shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, I thought the other thing that was funny – was that Joe Montana had back injuries, and that's like exactly what Joe Flacco had. Uh, but and and so I, I watched this clip of Steve Young talking about because uh, Bill Walsh like told him that you know Montana wouldn't come back from the second back surgery, and Steve Young goes, "I remember looking at Bill Walsh at practice, and Walsh just going like, <laughs> sorry, dude, didn't whoops, couldn't have predicted this. My bad.'" But those are – those situations, too, like, those are the only time that shit's ever happened. Yeah. Like, except for maybe, like, the closest thing would be the Chargers drafting Phillip Rivers, but that's because they were stu- too stupid to realize what they had with Drew Brees. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Drew Brees wasn't completely Drew Brees yet at that point. So it's it's rare. And I think – Broncos fans will be lucky if Drew Locke is that is a great quarterback playing behind Joe Flacco, and we'll be lucky if Joe Flacco Flacco plays really well. And the issue is like, when do we move on from Flacco? Like that's what you want. You want Elway to have to think about moving on from Joe Flacco. Completely the opposite of what he how long he had to think about moving on from Case Keenum. Right. It's like also like. What do you think Joe Flacco is going to teach Drew Locke that the quarterback coach <laughs> and the offensive coordinator couldn't teach him? Like Joe Flacco is going to tell him, hey, you should be able to throw a ball 80 yards like me. And then Drew Locke's like, oh, I can only throw it 75 yards. Well, I guess you'll Joe never Flacco's win a Super Bowl. Like, well, here's how you throw it five yards further. Yeah, Watch it's it. Like – and then they can each throw it out of the stadium. The thing is, like, I think Joe Flacco will give him information and tips, and they're going to happen just organically. Right, right. Like, like, during a game when Joe Flacco comes to the sideline to talk to Rich Scangarello and Drew Locke sitting there, like, Joe Flacco's going to be like, I'm seeing this thing happen on the defense. Like, the defensive – I don't know. The safety is, is cheating every play. We need to take advantage of this thing. So it's like Drew Locke's going to see the way he's processing shit in like a situation like that. So he is going to teach him things, but like not going out of his way to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. This isn't like, like being a quarterback and having a rookie quarterback under your wing. Isn't like, like signing up for like a big brother program. <laughs> right. Like you drive a kid to like a baseball game and buy him a soda and like tell him how to talk to girls. Yeah. It's just like it's the onus is absolutely on Drew Locke to learn. Uh, if a quarterback's not willing to learn, 
or just doesn't have like the capacity to learn, which I think is like the main complaint people had about Paxton Lynch. Like it's just not going to happen either way. And if a quarterback is willing to learn uh, and puts in the time, and the effort, it doesn't matter who the guy is in front of them because they're going to learn one way or another. Right. It's, I think like Joe Flacco probably right now too has a weird sort of rep because Lamar Jackson was drafted yeah. to yeah, I mean, him. That's a good point. Is like, this is the second year in a row that Joe yeah. Flacco has had to answer these questions. He's probably pretty tired of it. Yeah. And I think that the thing that might help Drew Locke is Locke is a similar quarterback to Joe Flacco. Lamar Jackson, completely different style of player. Yeah. So maybe, like, and I, I read some things about, like, how much Joe Flacco actually did help Lamar Jackson. Um, but maybe, like, I think it's a little bit more natural, too, if you see something in yourself in, in somebody else and you're, you, you're more naturally inclined to, to kind of help that person. You know what I mean? As opposed to, like, somebody who comes in that you're like, this guy is like a tremendous athlete, does things that I can't do. Whereas like Drew Locke's like, this is a guy probably throw the ball the way I do, uh, is going to handle situations similarly. So I'll probably pass on nuggets to him just by virtue of seeing that sort of similarity. Like Lamar Jackson's a, it's a crazy different type of quarterback. It's a right. situation, but. And like when people talk about learning under Peyton Manning, I feel like learning under Peyton Manning, sure, you're going to pick up a lot. But like the thing that makes Peyton Manning how, as good as he is, is like he has just a ridiculous intellect, which you can't teach. Like right. the ability to just pick up on things so, super quickly and to process things super quickly. I don't, like, I don't think it's something – it's just I think it's mainly God-given – and yeah. you can't like you can't learn work ethic like you can see like what it takes but like you still have to do it and you still have to put in that time and effort and there's very few players that are actually willing to to take that step and go above and beyond yeah i think maybe the most important thing you can sort of take away if you're a young quarterback playing behind a veteran is observing if they're doing it well how they lead and yeah. every person's going to have a different leadership style. But I think that's like watching how they command the huddle, watching how they hold other players accountable and learning that once you're the starting quarterback, you're going to be expected to do those same things. And I don't think that's like a natural thing for people to be able to do. You know what I mean? Or that it doesn't come naturally to to everyone. And I feel like as I've gotten older, looking back at what I was doing, say, 10 years ago in the same profession that I'm in, I'm like, shit, if if I knew like what I know now or was able to observe somebody doing what I wanted to do then, I would have been able to handle situations far better or had more confidence to be like a leader in situations where I needed to be that type of person, but I didn't have the, the experience. And so when you see somebody else doing it, I think it, it can give a young guy confidence to go in there and command a team because like, I don't care who you are. If you're a 22 year old man drafted 
to be the, your, if your will's age, you're asking all of these other grown men to yeah. believe. And, and also in the NFL like me. Yeah. Or having to like call out a 32 year old veteran. Like if he's not doing what you want him to do and you have to get him to believe really that you're right <laughs> and follow you and not like just being like a, the way I felt like Brock Osweiler was kind of like trying to be this raw, raw guy sometimes. And it was just like, nobody was like buying it until he came back yeah. a second time. And then they're like, now this guy's got it. Or like, I mean, like people just don't buy it until you play well too. Yeah. You have, like, you have to, it's really hard to be good able, at like your a, job. A no one's going to call like, uh, I mean, <laughs> someone like Nathan Peterman might be the greatest leader in the NFL for all we know, but no one's going to like, call him a great leader or really follow his lead because he's just not good on the field. Right. Like that's, that's what it comes down to. Like people will follow your lead uh, if you produce on the field, which I, I mean, I think obviously leading by example is yeah probably the, the best, most important way to lead. But I also don't want people to take this as us saying that Drew Locke should just play from day one, because I think those are two different things. Right. <clears throat> it doesn't mean like he has to like the only way he can learn is on the field. I, I think it does help obviously to just spend a year learning an offense and, and learning routines and learning like how to exist in the NFL without having to, to actually play on Sundays for, you know, a full season before you actually do get to start. Um, yeah. It's different for everybody. Like I think Drew Locke is one of those players that would benefit from being a backup for a year while he cleans up some mechanical things. Uh, but I also – I wouldn't say the th same thing about Dwayne Haskins. Like, I'd say Dwayne Haskins should probably start right away. I think Kyler Murray should probably start right away. It's I don't yeah. think – It's every situation, every player is different there too. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes the player who should sit a year gets drafted to a place where he has to start right away. Exactly, yeah. And it, it doesn't work out. Like the thing, another thing I noticed from, you know, when Steve Young was talking about being in San Francisco, he's like, I wouldn't have gone there if I knew Montana was going to have four years left in him, you know, to play. Like I wanted to be on the field. He's like, I thought about quitting football because I wasn't out there playing. So some people are ingrained with that sort of mentality, but also you have to be confident in your own ability to go out there and do that. Like, for me, like if, if I were a college quarterback getting drafted in the NFL, like I know myself well enough where I would have wanted, I would have wanted to be drafted where I knew I wasn't going to have to start right away. Like I need to acclimate to this new situation. I need to absorb all this shit because if they ask me to go out there and be the fucking hero from day one, we are all going to be, uh, our jobs are all going to be gone in it. Come yeah, on. no, it's, it's like Teddy Bridgewater staying with the saints rather than going to Miami and starting, which he could have done. It's like, well, right. obviously, you know, I signed with the saints thinking that Drew Brees probably had a year left, ended up having a great season. Uh, doesn't seem like he's going to retire even like after, maybe, you know, maybe he retires after this year, probably more likely two years. But then once that happens, uh, sure. I spent three years as a backup, but then I get to take over, you know, one of the more ideal situations in the NFL as opposed right. to the Dolphins who maybe had a, you know, skeptical 
he was skeptical of their coaching situation and they didn't have the same level of skill position players. And, you know, they have the 31st ranked offensive line in the NFL and all these different factors. Like maybe I don't want to put myself in a position where I'm going to fail, but I get to play and I'd rather just wait a couple more years and be in, you know, an ideal situation. If, if Bridgewater did go to Miami, do you think the Saints would have been interested in, say, Josh Rosen? These are the glorious what-ifs of the NFL. Because that's – I mean, I feel like Josh Rosen is going to fail in his career because he went from one bad organization to another one. And I don't think Josh Rosen is the type of player who can, like, turn a terrible organization – into a good one right because there are so few of those that's what's really in like when you look at a guy like Peyton Manning or John Elway or Dan Marino they went into situations where the team was not good and they changed everything about the fate of that that franchise and organization Um, yeah well I'll say yeah Manning especially I think Elway joined like a pretty mediocre team no, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, Marino joined a team that was, I think, in the Super Bowl the year before. Oh, were they? Yeah. I guess Marino just – he just was good his entire career. He was pretty good. I would put Andrew Luck in that conversation yeah. as well. I think so, he's the only one recently that has been so good that he's transcended their entire – fortune as a team and, and the and take next a roster and made a good team out of it the next guy might be baker mayfield that you say that about right yeah no, it might be like he went to the perennial perennially worst team in the nfl for you know as long as anybody can fucking count right and their fortunes started to change and he was obviously a big part of it um russell wilson close maybe in that conversation but the Seahawks I felt like as an organization did a great job he he kind of got there at the right time right right but I think he I think he has the right mentality to be that sort of guy but that's exactly like I think we saw yeah we saw it last year that wasn't a very talented Seahawks team but he played well enough to carry them to the playoffs right it's and it's it's what we've been saying it's like there's so much pressure I think to (laughs) to try to do that as a very, very young man. Like, it's a ton of responsibility. It takes a tremendous amount of crazy athletic QB talent and crazy amount of confidence to have, like, the balls just to fucking do that shit. I don't know. Yeah, it's not for everyone. Anyway, uh, I think that's enough. I think we're good. Cool. We really, we really did this podcast. We did it. We, um, did, it we did it hard. Okay, yeah. Make should sure we, you subscribe. Yeah, should we give people uh, a preview of the, the next couple of teams we're going to look at in our videos? Oh, yeah. Starting with the Cleveland Browns. We're definitely doing the Browns. Yep. The Jets, I, the Jets and Giants, I feel like we got a hit. <clears throat> They feel, yeah, they feel pretty mandatory right now. We got, you got a lot of Bengals comments. In the yeah, last I don't know what that was about. I feel like it was a joke that blew up, but. <laughs> that's also, 
not the most interesting team to talk about right now? No. I don't want to do the Bengals at all, but <laughs> I'm a, I'll put it. I'll put another poll up and see if it if it if it gains traction. I I think which team do you want to do, Will? Good question. Um, I think we could talk about. Let's see. I think Washington would be interesting to talk about, just because of all their quarterback stuff going on. Yeah. Uh, I think. Seattle's vaguely interesting just because Doug Doug Baldwin just retired. Yeah, it's like I think we're in the same boat where we want to talk about the teams where it feels like a good amount of interesting things have happened. Uh, Like I I want to talk about the Colts because I think they're building on something, but they were not an interesting team this offseason. No, they yeah they didn't really do a whole lot with a ton of resources. Which no. I don't think that's a bad move. It's just not a particularly interesting one either. No, even like the Raiders are super interesting because yeah. I mean they did a ton, but we also said like it was not fun re- researching and trying to talk about the Raiders. Yeah, it was not fun. Some Sorry, episodes man. are. Also, I should say the Chiefs episode is gaining steam on the Broncos episode. Uh. Well, at this point, I think more Chiefs fans watch us than than anyone else, I for know. whatever reason. I have. We. Have, I think they're. I think they're masochists. I think they are, but I think they get like. I mean, the thing I've always done is, I'll, I'll shit on the Patriots, but I never don't give them credit. Yeah. I mean, I, I take. I try to take away credit every chance <laughs> I get for Tom Brady, but mm-hmm. part of that's like tongue in cheek. The Chiefs, they have a good quarterback. You can't argue that. You they have still, a good, you can still argue. a good quarterback only because Alex Smith taught him how to be a good That's quarterback. That's right. That was the one we forgot to talk Alex about. Alex Smith taught him how to throw left-handed. Alex Smith taught him how to not look at the receiver when he threw passes. And Alex Smith taught him how to throw the ball 200 miles per hour. Alex Smith is so good at being a mentor, he has lost his job twice by his mentee. Yes. <laughs> Alex, yeah, Alex, maybe mentor yourself for a little bit. <laughs> Alex Smith is a uh... needs to mentor his leg. Yeah, get back to hundred uh, percent. He's a guy I root for. Absolutely, never yeah. a flashy quarterback. Nope, never really got the credit he deserved, but never did anything to so great that you had to give him the credit. But the thing I always liked the most about Alex Smith was uh, s- sneaky, sneaky athletic. You always Very forget that he could sneaky. run. Like, every time. Like, I was like, because oh, yeah. yeah. he just looks like a slow quarterback, and then he pulls out, like, a 20-yard fucking first down. It's because he's from Utah, and he probably doesn't, like, drink or anything. Oh. So he's just in pristine shape still. Wasn't putting that, from, like, the obvious part. Wasn't putting that bullshit in his body his whole life. Nope. All right. Thanks for for listening. We did it. You made it.